You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio and all podcast. I'm Dr. Steve. With my little pal, Tacey. Hello. It's my Hello, wife. Steve. We're in uh, social isolation together. Yes, we are. No one else is allowed in the studio, so here you are. Thanks for being here. You are welcome. This is give, give you something to do. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> this is a show for people who never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to a regular med- medical provider and can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347. Take it away, Taste. Poohhead. Excellent. Is that right? That's right. Look at me. Hey, visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, Stacy Deloach, uh, registered dietitian or whatever. All right, very good. All right, very good. Um, I just want to remind everyone, um, even <laughs> unless you need toilet paper, go to stuff.drsteve.com, uh, stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. Uh, it's just a, a page where you can go through and, and you can, once you get there, you can scroll down and look at all the different things we've talked about, vitamin supplements that have actually have data behind them, those kinds of things. And those are few and far between, by the way. And... Um, Uh, Or you can click straight through and go to Amazon, do your shopping there. So please use that. It really makes a big difference for us. Uh, Use what um, uh, I've used to get to my ideal body weight, Noom, noom noom.drsteve.com. What else you got to do? You're in social isolation right now. You might as well get your weight down. Or you could just eat. That's what I've chosen <laughs> well, to Tace, do. Well, Tace, I'm trying to plug uh, Steve. I know. And you guys, he has done so well with Noom. It's ridiculous. And now he weighs a significant amount less than I do. I'm so glad you said that and not me. Because if I said that, you wouldn't speak to me for a month. So thank you for the that. The truth hurts. Well, <laughs> we're truth-telling now all of a sudden. It's awesome. I like it. Um, maybe the social isolation thing isn't so bad after all. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> I got some uh, some other truth to show you later, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, Noom.drsteve.com. You get two weeks free, and then you get 20% off if you decide to do it. It's a, it's a um, psychology app, and um, it's not a diet. You know, I did Noom, and I lost 20 pounds, and I did really great on it, and then I gave up on it. And gained 20 pounds back. So it's a really good program. I can. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah. You have to continue to do just it. Just like you have to do it. 
But and it's not like Weight Watchers where no. you're committed to paying for it month in and month out and getting this, the calculator and the points and all that stuff. You just have to decide you're going to change your habits and your psychology yes. about food. And, uh, yeah, it's, it clicked a little better with me than it did for you. But No, you know, it, it clicked great for me. I yeah. just got – we had a – my company had a layoff, and, and that's all it took. And, yeah. and I got really stressed out. And um, I understand. Yeah, I which totally is why understand. I'm eating so much now. It's just stress. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I think everybody's doing that. I mean, what else is there to do? Noom does talk to you about that. And and every time I eat bad, I know I'm doing wrong because of Noom, but I'm not doing anything about it. So Noom is awesome. Fair enough. Uh, And Noom talks about making choices, too. And you can make your own choices on that. Um, I want you guys to go to withings.com slash Steve. The, I was told earlier that the link was not working. Withings.com slash Steve uh, for the absolutely the coolest uh, connected healthcare stuff, scales, blood pressure. Uh, and, and you think it's dumb. Wait till the middle of the show. We're going to talk about uh, our Withings scale. It's quite uh, stunningly awesome. And check out Dr. Scott's herbal malarkey at simplyherbals.net. Well, anyway, um, what have we got this week? Oh, What's going? I, is there anything interesting going on in the news? Um, let's talk. We'll do a little bit of COVID nineteen news. Um, Steve. Yes. Um, I'm basically here, so you can explain COVID nineteen to morons and give us your take. Okay. And COVID nineteen for dummies is what I want. From okay, you. sounds good. So when I we go through this stuff, if I say something uh, that uh, would not necessarily make you know, resonate with the lay person, let me know. Okay, I will. So um, the cases in the United States as of today, which I'm re- we're recording this on March 25th, and it's going to record or, you know, air this Saturday uh, in some places, but uh, other places at, at other times, depending on whether they're listening on demand or wherever. Uh, we had uh, in, the, in the United States 42,164 cases. Now, um, that is 0.128% of the population, which did cross that threshold that I was hoping we could keep things down to, which was China's percent of the population, which is 0.005. Now, I don't know how much testing they're doing in China. One of the issues with this is these are cumulative cases. As they test people and uh, test more and more people as we're ramping up testing in the United States. We're going to catch a lot of cases that we didn't know we had because there are going to be a lot of asymptomatic people that are going to have positive tests or people that may have been sick last January that show up with a positive test. They get thrown into this uh, into this uh, pod as well. But, Steve, are we testing people who are asymptomatic here? I mean, it seems... We're starting to. All, all I've been hearing is how we are so far behind on testing. Yeah. And um, so we have no idea how bad it really is. Well... And that China was really good at that, and they ended up in a world of hurt. And so... Well, I don't know that. how good they were at testing, because I'll be honest with you, a lot of the people that are included in their numbers are people's that people that never got tested, that they just presume. Okay. We're COVID-19. So uh, as of um, this week or next, we'll have the uh, quick tests for the um, offices that will be a, a single drop of blood. And you can tell if you've got the antibodies to it. So let's talk about antibody tests com- compared to the tests that they're doing right now. 
Right now, they're sticking a swab deep down into your nose, and they're trying to pick up viral particles. And what they're detecting is the genetic material of the virus, which is RNA in this case. These are RNA viruses. And they put it in this machine called a polymerase chain reaction machine. And what it basically does is read the RNA that's in the sample and amplify it. So now it becomes detectable. And then when you detect it, you say, yeah, okay, this is a positive case. Um, There's another way to determine whether someone's been exposed to this. doesn't tell you if they're infectious or not, but is to test to see whether their body has produced antibodies to this. And uh, there are two kinds of antibodies. One are uh, one type is IgM, and that's the immediate antibodies that your body produces. And if that is positive, it shows recent or current infection. It takes about four days from when you were um, infected with the virus to show IgM antibodies. Yes. But if you took the test on Monday, right, doesn't mean that, and and you tested negative, it does not mean that you do not have it. Right. You have to take, that's right. You can't do these things in a vacuum. You've got to take clinical, you know, put a little bit of clinical information in there. If a person's been completely isolated from everyone else in the world, let's just say, hypothetically, you had someone in a box and there was no way that a virus could get in or out, and you tested them uh, after being in that box for 14 days and they did not have IgM antibodies, then that person, you could very safely say they have not been exposed to the virus. Everyone else, uh, when they do those tests, you're right, there's a four-day lag. So if you don't know and you think and you suspect that it's a pulse negative, what you do is repeat it. Anytime you get an unexpected result, you want to repeat the test. So you could repeat it a week later. And then you could at least say if a week later their IgM is negative that the original test was truly negative. Now, you can't say that one was because maybe they got exposed two days ago. You know what I mean? So um, uh, what I think this test is going to be really good for is determining how many people had resolved infections that had no idea that they even had it. And that is the second antibody, which is the IgG antibody. Uh, immunoglobulin or immunoglobin G is produced. Uh, that's sort of the immune memory. And the body produces these uh, proteins to fight off things in case they ever see it again. And that should prevent you from being reinfected by the same strain of the same virus. And uh, you can detect those in this, too. So what if we just got 328 million of these tests and just tested everybody, particularly when this thing is over, and uh, see... uh, Uh, how many of those people tested positive for Resolve that didn't even know they had it. So what that would do, that would do a couple of things. If uh, Let's do a hypothetical. You've got this disease, and there's 100 cases, and three of them died. So the percentage of of people, the percentage of the mortality would be what in that case, Tase? I don't do math. (laughs) It would be 3%. Oh, okay. Right? Okay, so but what if there was an asymptomatic population that was 10 times that 100? Okay, so there was really a thousand cases and three of them died. Then the then the mortality percent would be 0.3. What if there's 10,000? Then it would be 0.03. You see where I'm going with this? Yes. So if we tested everyone in the United States, hypothetically, and found out how many cases we actually had, because that denominator is going to grow, and that will take the fatality rate of this disease down significantly. 
that makes sense. So yes. it started at 3%. It's down to about 1% in the United States, 1, 1 to 1.5%. And we think as we continue to test that, yes, you will see the case numbers increasing. That's not necessarily a bad thing, particularly if most of those people are healthy and do okay. Okay. All right. That yes. makes sense? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, yesterday, the number of new cases in the United States actually decreased, but that you can't go on just one day's worth of data. You got to look at trends because uh, you know maybe there was a delay in key punching these numbers in at the CDC. You know it could happen. So uh, we're, we'll keep an eye on that. I am doing a weekly uh, COVID nineteen situation uh, report on YouTube. And if you just put in uh, YouTube, the laugh button, which I know sounds crazy, why would there be a COVID report on a channel called the laugh button, but the laugh button owns Riotcast. And that's the network that we're our podcast is on. And we are basically simulcasting uh, podcasts and uh, 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 Sirius XM shows right now, uh, just because of the the importance of the information that we're getting getting out there. But if you go there, it's video, and I've got graphs and videos, and I'm going to start making fun of some people saying some ridiculous things and uh, panic-mongering and stuff like that. Okay? You good? I'm good. Okay, are you? You know, um, I don't know. Do you want to get into that right yeah, now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it, because people are having a hard time with this, well, and you're one of them. I... I mean, I usually put about... And I don't mean that in any pejorative sense. I mean, I'm one of them, too. No, I, I know. I mean, I usually put about 500 miles on my car. I um, am lucky and fortunate enough to be paid to sit at home in front of my computer. Yeah, some people have been able to take their work to work home, and uh, it's the service folks that we're really concerned about the most. Y- yes, yes, and... However, I I really don't have anything to do. So boredom is um, leads to lots of worry. Um, I had an online therapy appointment yesterday, and I had no idea how scared I really was. And I basically cried the whole hour. I'm, yeah. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of you being out in it all the time. I'm terrified of the kids getting it because... Um, apparently, it's not as easy on them as originally thought. Well, yeah, let me dispel some okay. fears on that. So our kids are both under 19. Uh, kids 10 to 19 years old have a 0.2% chance of dying from this. And that, that was in China. So, um, yeah, it, it can be hard on kids. There's no question about that. But the, um, the hypothesis, I'll just throw this up hypothesis out, is that kids don't... Um, uh, express the receptors in their lungs like adults do. So the COVID-19 virus attaches to an angiotensin receptor in the body. And it, nobody needs to worry about what it is. Just remember the name, the angiotensin receptor. And there are blood pressure medicines, like I'm on, called angiotensin receptor blockers that uh, uh, you know help me keep my blood pressure down very nicely. You know, I'm usually 110 over 70 all the time. But one of the things that the body does when you take those things is upregulate those receptors because the body's thinking, wait a minute, I don't have enough receptors. I need to make more. And so there's a hypothesis that people like me are actually making more receptors for this virus to latch onto 
but that little kids, particularly those under 10, don't make these receptors in any quantities whatsoever, and that's why they can just shrug this thing off. Okay. So, um, yeah, 0.2% mortality is translating to, you know, uh, what was that, 90.8% that nothing will happen. Sewage is 2% sewage and 98% water. So this is even more than that. This is 98 point, I'm sorry, 99.8% odds that if our kids get this, they will be totally fine. Okay. So that makes me feel better. I worry so much about all the people we know who are in the service industry. Yep. Um, you know, boredom leads, leads to, to just worry and idle minds and all that stuff. And um, I, I'm, I'm not sleeping. And I know I'm not the only one out there who, yeah. who feels the same way. Um, this is just a lot harder than, um, well, I, I never thought about anything like this happening before. So I can't right. even say it's a lot harder than what I thought it would be because. It's been 100 years since the last thought. big one. Yes. We had exactly. a pandemic in 2009. Nobody even paid attention to it other than the, those listeners of ours who either ended up on the ventilator or died from it. I don't know if you remember Barry the Blade, but, uh, you know, he died from the H1N1 that year. And he was the guy that started the trucker duty um, bit on this show where we'd have truckers calling in telling us about other truckers that they knew, certainly not them, but, you know, that would uh, take dumps and bag in Walmart bags and throw them out the window. And those are the people who are saving us right now. That's right. Um, Yes. Thank you to our trucker friends who are listening to this right now, who are bringing stuff to us. Bring us more toilet paper. But yes, other than that. you really suck at the toilet paper. <laughs> it's not their fault. Where <laughs> I is, know, I, I know. I keep reading. There, oh, there's no shortage of toilet paper. We're making plenty. Well, where in the hell is it? You, Amazon, and, I wish Amazon at least would go, you can back order it. We'll just send it to you when it comes. But instead, it's just not available, not available, not available. You can buy toilet paper from China. Um, and, you know, who God knows what what it's like compared to the toilet paper we're used to. I am installing, I'm telling you, Tace, I'm making this declaration for our home. I'm installing bidets in all four I toilets of that. our house. I've been this. meaning to talk to you about that. And I I'm, typically wouldn't think that I'm a bidet person, but I think we should do that. Guys, we spent a dollar per roll on um, some <laughs> toilet paper at Amazon. And I just think that's... Well, and that's... I think it's price gouging. I know Amazon is trying to keep people from price, but come on, a dollar a roll? Was that a lot? I mean, I don't... I I believe it's a lot. For 24 rolls, paying like 25 bucks, I think that's... Actually, I think that's about right. Um, It seems high, but, you know, uh, um, a a roll of toilet paper, uh, your mother uses a whole roll a day. I don't know what the hell she's doing because I got into it. Uh, but, you know, I was like, what the hell are you doing with all that toilet paper? I just imagine her just wa- she's like, well, Steve, I, I, I want to be clean. It's like, well, we as all- opposed to everyone else, as, a, right, as opposed to everyone. <laughs> exactly as opposed. Yeah, I don't want to be clean. But uh, I don't know that just wadding up a whole roll and cramming it up your ass crack is going to, you know, do anything toward cleanliness. But anyway, um, uh but I, I have seen rolls of toilet paper for like $35 on like auction sites and stuff like, like a single roll of toilet paper. Now, those people, come on. I think it's just really scary to see how how 
quick things can really go to shit when you can't find things like toilet paper. And who would have thought that that would have been the thing people yeah. go after? Um, but my therapist said people feel like they have to do something. And in this case, that makes them feel like with they're this doing situation, something. They, they felt like they needed to go get some toilet paper. And so that's why we don't have any. If, if you had told me a month ago that a month in the future there would be a shortage of toilet paper and Plaquenil, I would have laughed you. I mean, I would have thought you insane. Who would have ever? You can't make this stuff up. No, you really can't. Plaquenil, one of the most innocuous drugs, been around forever. I mean, I learned about it in medical school. Uh, hydroxychloroquine, for the people who are listening, it's one of the uh, drugs that uh, has been proposed as a potential uh, uh uh, ameliorating uh, uh, force in this um, in this thing, and we're going to talk a little bit about all the different drugs that are being. Well, hell, I, why don't I talk about it right now? The uh, World Health Organization. Because I'm not done bitching just okay. yet. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. And, so, and then, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> then you have to worry about all all the, the elderly people in your life um, because they need stuff too. Yep. And. Um, and they get out and they get it, and and then they're just goners. Well, and okay, fifteen percent of them are. Okay, that's still pretty scary. Because I, I agree, I agree. Those are odds where you wouldn't necessarily take all your life savings and take them to Vegas and bet everything. But uh, an eighty-five percent. If I'm eighty, and I get this, I still have an eighty-five percent chance of surviving, and that's without any. Of these new medications, that's without it. You know, that's before all of this. Okay. Uh, and th- those that data again uh, were primarily from China because they're they're ahead of the curve on as far as we are. You know, this started much earlier there. So, uh, and eighty five percent. It's still the overwhelming odds are that those people will get better. As I've reiterated from the beginning, most people will not get this. And most that do will not die. Go ahead. Okay. That's that's good. I, another concern I have is the shortage of PPE. Yep. I've never heard you um, specifically talk about it, but yep. it's all over, um, you know, all of my little news sites that I read. Yep. And, of course, Facebook, which is one of my news sites <laughs> that I read. And um, so I worry about that. And, and these so, homemade masks people are making, yep. are, are they useful? Okay. So, these are. I'm going to give you one of these. Give yourself a bill. Well, duh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm sorry I'm being so bitchy, guys. But um, No, that's why I wanted you on here. Okay. And uh, you and I are going to be doing the show for the foreseeable future. Oh, so. great, guys. Yay. <laughs> so uh, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean, you know, two weeks ago. When we were on rounds, we would have our medical students and our residents and maybe one of a pharmacist and a chaplain. And if we went into a room on a patient that was in isolation, we would all put on a gown and gloves. And if they were on droplet precautions, which would be people who had a pulmonary infectious disease like influenza, you'd put on a mask. And all of us would traipse into the room. And maybe one of us would touch the patient. Everybody else just kind of, you know, looking at the floor, looking at the ceiling. And then you walk back out and everybody takes those off. So that would be six sets of PPEs, personal protective equipment, uh, used and wasted, basically. Some, five of them would be basically wasted. Now we're not doing any of that. 
students are banned from well now they're banned from the hospital but at, at first they were just banned from going into rooms that required PPE one of the other things that they're doing is they're saying if you have an area that it where uh, vancomycin um, <clears throat> that's your old buddy David 24/7 my friends yeah um, if uh, if you if you're in an area where vancomycin-resistant enterococcus or methicillin-resistant staph aureus, MRSA, is endemic, you no longer need to wear PPEs in those rooms because we never wore it to protect us. We wore it to protect the person in the next room who we were going to see next. Well, if it's everywhere anyway, and the dirty little secret is we test patients when they come in. They never test doctors and nurses and PAs and nurse practitioners and, uh, you know, everybody else, physical therapists. Um, we're probably all colonized as well. And if that's the case, why use PPEs for those? Just use standard precautions. So they've relaxed the rules on using PPEs in rooms where the people don't have influenza, tuberculosis, or COVID-19, which actually I think is a good thing. So um, let's get back to the shortage of it. Do yep. you feel like we have one? Uh, there, In some places, there's definitely a shortage, New York being one of them. Okay. And that may roll out from there to other places. So we've got a hot spot on the East Coast and then a hot spot on the West Coast. And then, uh, you know, if if... We don't hunker down and socially isolate, then you're going to see those shortages rolling toward the middle of the country till they meet in the middle. Which leads me to my next question um, regarding. And she's not right. right she does, she's not doing this. Uh, she doesn't have a written down list. She's doing this from her head. She's very good. You're very. Uh, oh, you did write. It down. <laughs> Never um, mind. Which leads well, me to my next question. Um, <laughs> um, these are things you know. I, I have listened to some of your other podcasts, and they're. They're a little bit over my head. Oh, and, they are not. Um, You're so much... Well, I, I guess I, I just get bored and do other stuff. But, I mean, <laughs> so anyway, I, you know, they're saying in New York that it's it's really hard to find one or two patients in the ER that, that, that doesn't have it. Okay. And um, they're calling it absolutely staggering. And, um, see, I told you his phone rings all the time. Uh, if, you, that, if that one rings again, I'm going to have to pause. Okay, the that's fine. Recording. Um, do you anticipate all of America ending up this way eventually, or is that just because they're so condensed? Like, will we see that here where we're more spread out and far, or what? What is your what are your thoughts on it? Everybody asks me yep. what your thoughts are on this, and and to be honest with you, I don't I I don't know, and I know. So I guess what's your if you can, what is your bottom line thought yep. on, on, on this whole thing? Um, sure. No, I think it's, um, it's an excellent question. And one of the reasons why we're so concerned is because even though most people are going to do very well with this, with this uh, let's, say, let's say mortality is 1%. And that would mean the hospitalization rate would probably be around 5%. Okay? So 5%. 20% of people who are hospitalized will die from it. Let's just say that that's and that that's going to be ballpark. Let's look at the pandemic of 2009. 60 million people in the United States got that virus. 60 million people, okay? Out of those 300,000 were hospitalized. 
15,000 people died. So the uh, percentage of people that died was like 0.025%. So it was really low. It was a it was a very contagious virus, but it w- didn't kill very many people, relatively speaking. I mean, listen, every one of those 15,000 was tragedy, one of them being our friend Barry the Blade, another one almost, uh, you know, Richard David Smith the third, the owner of Hyperphysics, because he ended up on the ventilator with it. So, um, and, you know, every death is tragic, no question about that. Well, 2020 flu. 50 million people have gotten it so far. We've had 50,000 deaths, 710,000 hospitalizations. So that's a uh, death rate of 0.1%. So if this thing is 1%, right? Yes. That's 10 times more than that. So let's just extrapolate those numbers. So you're talking 500,000 deaths, 7, uh, 7 million hospitalizations. Well, we only have 100,000 uh, ICU beds, and they've got other people in them. You know, there's other people in those beds right now that don't have COVID-19. So the concern is that this would overwhelm if it all happened at once, because that was England's um, strategy. And we've got a phone call about that in a second. Uh, England's strategy, uh, you know, it was trying to let everybody get it and let the chips fall where they may. But then they realized that that was not an effective strategy because, um, although you, yes, you would build up herd immunity, you would get a lot more people sick, and it would just overwhelm the medical system. So now you've got a medical system that's overwhelmed. Well, what if you get appendicitis, or if you get, I don't know, scarlet fever, and there's no place to put you in the hospital? Now all of a sudden, people are, you know, having serious illnesses, even death, from things that we could easily treat normally. So that this whole thing dominoes down until it until it d- dies down and it would be a nightmare. So that's what we're trying to avoid. So what do I think is going to happen is what I'm hoping is what happened in China, where uh, 0.005% of the population got it. Instead of 50,000, what is 50,000 out of 325? Let's see. Um, Echo, what's 50 divided by 325? 50 divided by 325 is 0.1538. 0.1. So, wait, so 15%, right? Is that right? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so 15%. Uh, So uh, instead of 15%, which is what we're looking at with um, influenza, uh, if we could get it down to less than 1%, then we can handle this thing. You know, if if the okay. number of cases are one, if this thing is 10 times more lethal, if we can keep the cases down to less than 10 percent of the influenza cases, you see, then we can handle it because we can handle the influx of flu cases. So right now we're at point uh, oh, what did I say? Point oh something percent. I've lost my paper. But anyway, it's way less than one uh, percent. OK, if we can keep it there. OK. So we just don't need to, to overload the, the medical system that's right. with other things. And, and okay, so I understand that. And I guess that's, that's the bottom line. You're listening to Weird Medicine. Hey, Tays. Yes, sir. Forget about having a perfect beach body. 
truth is carrying too much weight increases our risk of high blood pressure, heart attack, sleep apnea, joint pain, and increased resistance to insulin, which can lead to diabetes. The good news is that lowering your weight, we've talked about this on the show, 5 or 10% can decrease, uh, decrease your risk of heart attacks. Don't I know it. Um, you know, this company, Withings, they've got more than 10 years' experience in making connected devices to help anyone take control of their health. I have the Withings Body Plus scale. I've had smart scales before, and they all sucked. You know why? Because you had to Bluetooth it to your phone. Well, I'm not bringing my phone into the bathroom in the morning just so that I can record my my weight. This thing works through Wi-Fi. So your phone could be in Timbuktu, and as long as you're hooked up to the Internet, you can get the data from it. You stand on this thing in the morning, do it the same time every day morning after you've completely evacuated things that need to be evacuated, and um, uh, stand on it, and it will tell you your weight. It will graph it for you compared to your weight and tell you how much you're up or down for that day compared to yesterday. It will calculate your BMI. Um, your total body fat, body water, bone weight, and it'll tell you the weather. It's insane. This is the greatest scale in the world. Um, you know, they support up to eight users, and they even have a pregnancy mode. You don't need that, do you, Tice? No, hell no, I do not. Well, all right, that's good. <laughs> uh, with advice for every week of pregnancy and a way to know about healthy weight gain and a baby mode to uh, weigh the uh, smallest members of your family, including pets. You can even weigh your pets with this thing. It's incredible. I mean, it's the greatest thing, and I'm going to turn around and buy their blood pressure cuff, too. We need that. I have a great blood pressure cuff, but to have something that can track my blood pressure and then I can send it to my uh, primary care provider, come on. They have other stuff, too. I've just started to explore their, their website. If you want to take control of your weight or add muscle and lose fat, a Withings Smart Scale can help. At every weigh-in, you get weight, full-body composition, weight trend, and even a local weather report. In fact, Tom's Guide recently named Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale of 2020. Uh, get 25% off the Body Plus Composition Wi-Fi Smart Scale at withings.com steve. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com slash Steve. You're listening to Weird Medicine. I've also um, been worried about ventilator triage. Yep. I mean, these are things that, um, you know, if you can't sleep between like midnight and four that you um, Yeah, think you start about. thinking about these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how we just don't have enough. Well, let's. Um, we've got a phone call about that. Let me let me get the uh, Ronnie B uh, disclaimer first. Number one thing: don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Let's. Uh, there's. We've got a question just about that. Okay. So that you don't have to carry all the weight. Yeah, Doctor Steve, I have a question. I have a CPAP machine. Just wondering if that would uh, hear a lot about the shortage of ventilators. Wondered if that was. On the same line. Thanks, That's a great question. Yeah. So he's wondering if he could maybe, I'm guessing being altruistic, uh, donate his CPAP machine if somebody needs it. Now, so CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. So it just provides pressure, okay? And uh, so it blows in and you build up to a certain pressure and then that's where it holds. There are other machines called BiPAP machines. Now, BiPAP pressures are bi-level positive airway pressure machines where you're, 
the pressure going on an inhalation is greater than the pressure when you're exhaling. So there's still CPAP in there, but when you're inhaling, you're getting the extra uh, pressure or extra flow. So uh, now a BiPAP machine would most likely be more effective for somebody with respiratory failure than just a pure CPAP machine. So when we got someone on the ventilator, we're always, um, uh, before we take them off the ventilator, put them on CPAP, put them on continuous positive airway pressure, see if they can handle it, and then uh, take them off. But if they're not ready, they'll start breathing fast and their heart rate will go up. So CPAP alone isn't as effective. But now, people who have BiPAP machines, if we run out of those, I would be happy to donate mine. I've just got complex sleep apnea. I can go a week or two weeks or a month without wearing it. I went for 62 years without wearing it. Um, and uh, if, if those things would help. So if we get really desperate for the people that have the lower level respiratory failure, you can keep them going on BiPAP for some time. I also understand that, uh, like some of the... Um, Industries are repurposing their their factories to make uh, uh, ventilators, and a ventilator doesn't have to be the hundred thousand dollar machine that we have in these um, in these uh, hospitals right now. They can make cheap and dirty ones, and when I say cheap and dirty, meaning they don't have all the bells and whistles, but they would still work great. And uh, heck, we could, we've got tons of Curas ventilation machines. Those are uh, the old school iron lungs. They're now made out of plastic and you can wear them, but that could help for people with borderline respiratory failure as well. So, um, I, it, yes, it will be an issue. And I'm uh, hope you know, we have ventilators in every operating suite too. And we're not doing elective operations right now. So that we could repurpose some of those as well. So we'll be able, if we can just slow this thing down so that um, the, the, the flow is nice and even and not, you know, heavy. You know the difference between light flow and heavy flow, right, Taste? And, yeah, uh, I sure do, and, Steve. And, and <laughs> heavy, heavy flow is not good. So we want nice light flow. We want a nice menopausal flow perimenopausal flow okay of patients if we can do that we can keep the death rate down and we can keep from overwhelming the uh, medical system and having to make those types of who's going to live or yeah, die that's decisions. right we have never done that in this country uh we we have such abundant uh medical s- supplies and access to care despite what a lot of people think you can still it doesn't matter if you have no insurance or if you owe the government a million dollars you can still go to the emergency room and get uh you know care for your heart attack and get treated and get catheterized and all that stuff they'll just settle up with you later but um uh you will um we've never in this country used this thing called the principle of distributive justice and pr- distributive justice talks about distributing uh, resources to the people who for whom it will do the most good because the problem is who's making that decision who's the most good you know is it some politician is that person's life where you know we shouldn't be making those kinds of decisions so uh, you know if you've got a, a 90 year old with stage 4 cancer and they want CPR and you do CPR on them and they end up in a coma and they're on a ventilator for three weeks uh, it's just done. No one has that conversation that says this shouldn't happen. We may talk to people about, you know, this patient may not want this and it's okay to withdraw treatment if you're in a futile situation. That's not the same thing, but you're right. 
to be in a position where now we have to say, wait a minute, we're going to save your life, but not yours. That's that's a position we never want to be in. And one more one more yep. pitch point. Yep. I'd also Vitch like away. to say I love that it. Um, I am praying for every family who has teenagers in the house. <laughs> Um, we have, I got my, no, it's not funny. I got my children up, or you did today, at one thirty, and that's the earliest No, I, I got up. them up at 8 o'clock, and they, when I came home after, uh, uh, between uh, doing my interdisciplinary team meeting and going to another meeting, they were still, they were yet a bed. Yes, yes. Um, so they may have rolled over <laughs> at eight. So, um, and and I, although am in a house full of two teenagers, I'm, you know, I just, somebody has got to talk to me at some point. Yeah. So that is why I'm so grateful that Steve is at home because it is really hard to be hunkered down. Yeah. And yeah, it is. So, you know, what what are things people can do? Um, you know, Netflix and Hulu has been nothing but praise awesome God for us. for Netflix yes, and Hulu. Absolutely. Give yourself a bill. Uh, they, they've got to be doing big numbers right now. And I'm looking forward to nine months from now seeing this increase in, um, in uh, childbirth that's going to happen. And uh, as people are stuck together and they got, well, we got nothing else to do. We might as well do it, Myrtle Jane. And um, uh, what else? But what can people do, Tase? What do you think? You know, I don't know. I, being being paid to work from home, I, I typically stare at my computer all day so that at least I'm somewhat earning my paycheck. I, I have a little bit of things to do, but it's just it's not a lot. And um, uh, FaceTiming has really helped. There's a lot of people who, and, and I would have never FaceTimed anybody a week ago. Yeah, she's been the FaceTime queen. That's There's no uh, a, a lot no of people still have not caught on to that, but it's just so good to see other people's faces, whether they've showered or not. Yeah. I do think showering and, and getting ready every day is, is important. It kind of bring some sense of normalcy to yeah. your life. But I think establishing a schedule. As far as, as having the answer, I I don't. And I I, I would like to have some suggestions yeah. as, okay. as well. If you all have suggestions for my wife, it would make my life better <laughs> <laughs> and uh, make her by making her life better. Uh, if you have some ideas, I've got one for people. If you've got a nerd friend that's stuck in the house, particularly if they're quarantined, uh, buy them an Oculus Go. They're like 110 bucks. It's virtual reality. You can even set up um, uh, scenarios where you're outside, or you're in a you're in a museum and you're walking around and doing other things like that. I think uh, virtual reality would be uh, something for the people that have it and, and can afford it. Would be something that would help. Um, that trip app that we talked about, you know, uh, Nanea Reeves from tripp.com. Uh, check that out if you've got a if you have a virtual reality setup or Oculus Go or Oculus Quest, um, that that's a great way to get yourself out of your head for a few minutes. And um, uh, I played a new ninja game last night, Taste. That you know you need to try. Okay. <laughs> I would love to come home and see you just bisecting some fools uh, <laughs> playing the ninja game with the virtual reality machine. I also think exercise. I, I mean, I know that's important, but I am not in the damn mood right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just 
that's the last thing I want to do, but it's the first thing I need to do. And yeah. Yeah. so um, I, under- I understand that. Too. Let's, let's talk about the new WHO trial real quick. If okay. you want to know what people are doing about this. Uh, the World Health Organization started a new s- trial called Solidarity, and that would be Solidarnoszczyk in uh, in Polish, if, if for anybody that was alive during the 80s. Uh, they are going to be looking at a series of medications, one of them remdesivir. That's the one that we've been hearing about. Um, this is, um, they tested it, uh, remdesivir, during the Ebola outbreak. It didn't show anything, but it did show some benefit in my at my alma mater in, uh, at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill in test tube and animal studies that could inhibit coronaviruses that cause SARS and MERS. So there's been uh, the first COVID-19 patient diagnosed in the United States, which was a uh, young man in, Sah- in Sun- Sun- God, how do you pronounce that? Snohomish County in Washington. I was given remdesivir when his condition got bad, and he improved the next day. Now, that's just anecdotal evidence. That's not evidence, okay? But it didn't hurt him. So they're doing phase three trials, which means there's thousands of people getting this stuff. We should have preliminary results within two weeks to a month because the, the phase three trial has been going on for a while. So I'm hoping that we'll get something really interesting there. Uh, they're also decided because of the president of the United States, to be honest with you, and pressure uh, from other people. Uh, they're, they added chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine to that uh, arm. There was one uh, recent trial that was rather disappointing when it came to use of chloroquine. It was a very small study, and they were very sick people, yes. Okay, so um, this chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine? Yes. Um, Okay, so what are the differences? I mean, not okay. not chemically, yes, but like brand name or gotcha. um, chloroquine is a is a medication that has been used in the past for malaria uh, prevention. So you would go to a malarial endemic area and start taking chloroquine. Okay, when you take it every day, day in and day out, there can be some significant adverse effects. People had weird dreams and had neurologic things, deposition of chloroquine on the on the uh, cornea, stuff like that. Uh, then uh, they developed hydroxychloroquine, which is chemically almost identical. There's one hydroxyl group on it that's different. And uh, it turns out that it's pretty useful in things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. So that's Plaquenil? That is Plaquenil. Okay, okay. You, have, you know somebody that's on Plaquenil. I know somebody. I mean, I've prescribed Plaquenil for decades now. And it's people take it every day, and it's very well tolerated. So this sort of fear-mongering where there was a study that said, well, one person died from drinking uh, uh, the drug that Trump is proponing. You know, and it, what, the, what it was was they, they drank... Um, um, Uh, aquarium cleaner yes and they got a lethal dose of chloroquine and it says on it not for human consumption so listen y'all we talk about this all the time no homebrew science on this one okay uh as far as taking drugs is concerned uh we want to do all this stuff under a doctor's uh supervision or you know a a medical provider nppa and you know do whatever uh but anyway they're so they're going to look at chloroquine I did not see that they were going to try it in concert with azithromycin, which was the French study. If you recall, the uh, French study looked at both 
uh, chloroquine and azithromycin together, and by uh, and uh, or hydroxychloroquine by itself. And uh, what they claimed, and this is a very small study, was that there was a dramatic decline in viral shedding in the people that use hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin. So, um, and then the other uh, set of drugs is ritonavir, lopinavir, which is an HIV drug that interrupts RNA uh, replication. They published a small study in uh, New England Journal of Medicine that showed very little, well, no effect. But they, so many of the people in that study died that they think that they uh, only gave it to people who were so sick that nothing was going to help them. So we're going to try administering that a little earlier, and maybe that will get us a better benefit. And then the last leg of that one is going to be the rotonavir, lopinavir with interferon beta. And interferon beta is uh, just a molecule that's involved in regulating inflammation. A lot of the people who die from this um, uh, have a thing called cytokine storm, because uh, and, and that's just a sign of what we call hyperinflammation. So when these the body attacks these viruses, uh, the white blood cells come out in force and go, get the hell out of here, and then they will release these inflammatory factors called cytokines, and those will go everywhere in the body. And if you release too many of them, some of them will end up in the kidneys and cause inflammation there, and then the kidneys shut down in the liver, and the liver shuts down, because there's no reason for these people who just can't breathe to get multi-organ failure. And one of the things that's um, uh, posited is that maybe that interferon will help with that cytokine storm, or perhaps hydroxychloroquine could help with that. And there are other anti-inflammatory drugs that could be used that are not steroids and not ibuprofen. They're in a separate class altogether and uh, that may be able to prevent that cytokine storm. So even if the people got that sick, they could give them these medications and just wait till their body healed and their breathing got better and get them off the the ventilator. The 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 rough part of that is that could take six weeks. That's what I was going to ask yep. you. So um, all of this will be, will be raring to go and open back up by Easter, right? Well, okay. So I look, the the worst thing that any of us can do and that and I mean all of us and that means everybody in government or anywhere else is start to politicize this thing. <laughs> I know, I know. So, I... uh I I you can set goals. Hey, we would like this sector to be back moving again. That's my goal. That's not necessarily saying, hey, that's what we're going to do because, you know, Anthony Fauci said, hey, all this stuff is flexible. We just got to see how it is, but we can set goals. I'd love for this thing to be over in 2 weeks if we get a treatment. Um, that can reduce the duration of this disease by half and reduce hospitalizations by 90%, this thing kind of will be over at that point. But we got to have that data. And I'm, I'm not anywhere saying that, we're, that we've got that or we're close to it. But if we get that, that's, that's what it's going to take for this to be over. That or just huge herd immunity. You know, it, it seems very unlikely to me that that some drug will be proven well enough to be a cure by by that time. Right, I right. mean, it just. Well, the remdesivir trial has been going on for some time. OK. Uh, and then you're but you're right, though. I mean, I don't want to be a, I would love to go out and have dinner at Easter or have. Sure. I mean, my God, I hate to say this, but have my family over at Easter. No, uh, that's the one okay. plus side to this is we don't <laughs> have to mess with your family. So, I mean. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a silver lining everywhere. Uh, taste. There is, Steve, and um, but uh, yeah, I I think that is extremely ambitious and may not be real world in any sense. But it's good to have goals. We need to have some hope that we can get through this because even the 1918 pandemic eventually ended. It had three waves. It had a wave in the spring. No, uh, in the winter, and then in, I think in the spring, and then in the fall again, or it was either that or it was spring, fall, and winter. And, uh, you know, it, it just kept hitting harder and harder. We need to be able to respond to these kinds of uh, situations and viruses much faster. Of course, back then, they didn't, barely knew what a virus was. They didn't know what hit them. And um, we've got so much more technology and so much more ability. I mean, it used to take 17 years to to uh, produce a virus. We're going to have one in under a year for this. And they actually synthesized the uh, vaccine particles within the first couple of weeks. And that's outstanding. One thing, my therapist, here's a little free therapy for everybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, he said, you know, just... What if everything turns out okay? You've got to to be hopeful and to know that we're gonna we're gonna come out of this. If this isn't the end of the world, and right. you've got to hold on to that. And um, well, the Roaring Twenties came out of the pandemic of nineteen eighteen. Of course, stuff after the Roaring Twenties wasn't so great, aka the Depression. But we're our economy isn't like that now, so I don't see that happening. And uh, so the, we just got to get through this. And the easiest, quickest way to get through it right now until we have the tools to treat it or prevent it uh, with va- prevent it with a vaccine or medication is to uh, stay apart from each other. And for those of us that are introverts, that's actually kind of a good thing. I don't I'm kind of glad a lot of my meetings have been canceled, but um, I, I hate that Mogfest got canceled. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You you're you don't hate that I know. No, I, I that's the one thing you get to do for fun. I hate that. Um, what was the other thing we were going to do? Got canceled. Oh, creeps with kids. Creeps with kids. I hate that. Yep. That's um. We were going to see Ronnie B, Rich Voss, Jim Florentine, and Bobby Kelly in Atlanta at the weekend of uh, Easter. And that was going to be our excuse. Our excuse to not be here and have to deal with your mother and her issues. <laughs> and uh, but now we have another excuse. So you know, the Lord provides taste. He does. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I have been praying about, and this virus kind kind of has answered Answer, those answered prayers. One of them. But I just was hoping that things would you know come about in a different way. Yeah. But you know. Well, you want to do a um, a non-COVID question real quick? Sure. Let's do one. We got about two minutes left. Okay. Not sure. He's going to have to do a uh, extraction from my bone marrow. Uh, 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 okay. Sorry. Hey, Doctor Steve, it's Mike calling back. I just left a rambling message. Hopefully, you'll have fun with it on the radio or delete it, whatever you prefer. That was the Again, ladder. I'm calling back. I had blood work done. My primary referred me to a hematologist, oncologist, who indicated I might have polycythemia vera. Okay. He did say that I do have polycythemia vera, uh, and he differentiated it between that and polycythemia rubra vera, which is a blood cancer. Um, well, tests he did on my blood shows I do not have the rubra vera blood cancer, but he said to be 100% sure, he's going to have to do a uh, extraction from my bone marrow to find out. 
Okay. Uh, okay. He Go also ahead. indicated perhaps my elevated counts are coming from my testosterone. Okay, yeah, we got about a minute left. So this guy's on testosterone, and he has elevated red blood cells. We call that polycythemia. That just means the elevated red blood cells. There is polycythemia vera. That's a stem cell disorder that's uh, characterized as um, uh, a malignancy, a neoplastic bone marrow disorder. And its most prominent feature is elevated red blood cell count. So the way to differentiate between the two of those, one, stop the testosterone. Because, yes, testosterone and smoking, uh, being in an area where there's a lot of carbon monoxide, all those things will raise your uh, red blood cell count. But if you want to know if you've got the polycythemia vera, which is the neoplasm, then you've got to do a bone marrow. To do that, they numb up a place over your um, your ass bone, basically, right, up, you know, just um, lateral to your spine, and they take some uh, fluid out and uh, look at it under the microscope. You know, uh, some of the signs and symptoms of polycythemia vera are um, impaired oxygen delivery. You'd think that They'd have better oxygen delivery, right? Because they've got more red blood cells, but they just got too many, and too many of anything is uh, is not necessarily a good thing. So they cause sludging of the blood, which leads to headaches, dizziness, Virgo, sometimes ringing in the ear, sometimes changes in vision and stuff like that. Even uh, if if they're prone to it, they can get uh, chest pain. You know, true angina because it's actually clogging up some of the smaller. Uh, uh, smaller arteries going into the heart sometime, and, and what we call intermittent claudication. Claudication is when people have uh, pain when they're walking, right? And then they get their legs cramp up because they can't get enough uh, blood supply to them. A lot of times, uh, 75% of people at least will have an enlarged spleen in that case. If you've got testosterone that's just increasing your blood counts, you're not going to have that. Uh, they may have enlarged liver and uh, high blood pressure and stuff like that. So... Uh, if your hemoglobin is greater than 16 in men or your hematocrit is greater than 49% in men. So do you know what the hematocrit is, Tace? No, sir. I do not. Okay. So the hematocrit is the percentage of uh, blood that's actually red blood cells. So what you do is you have this little tube and uh, you spin the blood down. And then you, the old school way to do it was just measure it. And you would measure the height of the total column, let's say it was 10 inches, and then if the height of the column of red blood cells was 4.5 inches, then it was four, you know, 45%, right? Sure. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> There's a limit, Steve. <laughs> Everybody has a limit. All right. So anyway, so that, that's what they're looking for is an elevated hematocrit, meaning that you've got a plethora of red blood cells. And uh, one of the things they can do for this is just do phlebotomy. They'll just um, take red blood cells out. you got to throw them away, though, because they come from a malignant process. But, um, you know, this isn't like having some sort of cancer. I mean, sometimes they'll do... Um, uh, what we call cytoreductive therapy, which is medication to just kill off some of those cell lines. Uh, those are they'll do that in people who are at really high risk for clotting and stuff like that. Uh, if they have painful spleen, they will uh, remove the spleen sometimes because when you're an adult, you can get away with that. But most of the time, treatment uh, consists of just drawing off blood. There's also a medication called hydroxyurea. And uh, that that's used as a cytoreductive agent, 
and uh, there are lots of other uh, alternatives as well. And the hematologist will be the one that will walk you through all of that, okay? All right, you got anything else to plug? No, I don't. Well, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, uh, Matt at the Syndicate, uh, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campo, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and the great Fez Watley, who is having a birthday this week, whose early support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, get some exercise, wash your hands. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thank you, guys. Oh, yeah. Bye, Tace. (laughs) Bye, Steve. (laughs) 